This is Learning Innovation, the teaching and learning podcast, otherwise known as LittlePod. We are created by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning and Innovation, located in Alberta, Canada, on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. Here at CTLI, it's our job to keep education innovative and accessible, which leads to lots of conversations and projects with students, educators and experts in our networks. We hope you'll tune in, hit play, and get inspired as we navigate and capture the dynamic landscape of teaching, learning, and pedagogy. Welcome to episode number 15 of The Little Pod. Our guests today are Kelsey Jansen and Lorraine Leishman, and we'll be discussing the Communities of Practice Initiative, otherwise known as COP. We'll cover why it's so important how it impacts Lethbridge College, and more broadly, education. Kelsey is our production coordinator for the production team at the College's Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation. Hello, Kelsey. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. And Lorraine assists the Learning and Development Plan team in creating different learning initiatives, one of those being today's topic of discussion, communities of practice. Welcome, Lorraine. Hi, Dawn. I'm excited to be here. All right. Well, let's dive in. So, Lorraine, what are communities of practice? Communities of practice are when a group of people who are passionate about learning something decide to get together regularly and learn something and record and store that knowledge and support each other as they go forward. And sometimes communities of practice are just over a short period of time because what people want to learn is has a clear start and end. And sometimes they go on for years. So this sounds like it could cover quite a broad range of possible topics. Why are they so important? I think they're so important. I mean, there's so many ways that communities of practice are so important. Um, inside the learning and development plan, when that plan was fleshed out, they realized that because Lethbridge College is such a social place anyway, that we have always been passing on knowledge from one person to another, and that a social pathway, a way of learning going forward, that communities of practice was this established social pathway. Originally, I think it was 1991, a couple of anthropologists, one of them being Etienne Wanger, and they formalized the idea of communities of practice in about 1998. And then there's a large bunch of research on how effective that kind of is to give people some time to get together and learn together in a semi-structured way. Okay, as you describe this, I feel like maybe I have, without realizing it, been part of some communities of practice. Um, Kelsey, is there something you'd like to add to that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think just like you said, Donna, often we're participating in these without really thinking of them as communities of practice. I know when Lorraine and I 
talked um, a different time. Uh, she was telling me about her her project with communities of practice, and and as we talked, then it became clearer to me that some of the work that my team does involves community of practice, and we didn't call it that, um, but we were we were doing that, and how recognizing that can also help us as we structure them and grow them and just continue within them. So maybe they can become sort of more purposeful as opposed to maybe accidentally evolving. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And uh, Lorraine, you mentioned a little bit about the origin of COPs. Uh, what inspired that origin? How did, how did that begin? What I understand was that it came, it evolved out of their perspective from anthropology that study of how people and how culture emerges and how knowledge is passed on inside that kind of culture. So if for those of you who are anthropology fans like I am, I remember the early studies where the mentorship was the young man or young woman would be watching the expert and be quite quiet for quite some time as they learn, you know, person to person. So that's kind of the root of that social pathway to knowledge that it is really passed on from one person to another. So it was, I think I spent, they spent eight years looking at this concept before they realized that these communities of practice naturally exist and belong in institutions. And then when they began formalizing that, because really we talk in hallways and that's a social pathway, right? We talk in meetings and that's a social pathway, but it's that formalizing it and saying, you know, as an institution, we have room for people to take some time from their work and get together with other people that are all jazzed about the same kind of thing and then store that information. And there's this idea of communities of practice, let knowledge have longevity, let social knowledge have longevity by filing that information and perhaps making it accessible to other people. So we had that idea of that kind of multi-generational building of knowledge through honoring the people who, with all of the experience that they have. Are there connections with community of practice or COP to the college's push for inclusivity? And, mm -hmm. and I'll throw that out to both of you. So feel free, either one mm -hmm. of you to jump in on that. I think uh, one major positive aspect of communities of practice is that it democratizes knowledge. And I think that's a, a big part of inclusivity is making knowledge available and sharing the knowledge that we have with each other. Um, because when we share that, that breaks down barriers, that builds understanding and uh, enables people to upskill, whether it's in a more technical skill, or whether it's in how they interact with people, looking more at things like core competencies and that kind of thing. Um, I think it's also um, communities of practice are natural uh, 
encouragers, I guess, of uh, storytelling. And uh, that's something that I think we're seeing more and more value in, um, especially as we learn from our Indigenous grandparents and elders um, and Indigenous services in general at the college is that oral storytelling tradition. And as we share our experiences and our stories, that's a lot of what happens in uh, communities of practice and and one of the ways that we build that knowledge and share it. So it sounds like there's a lot of a lot of connections to many different areas of of inclusivity and um, also with uh, Indigenous ways of knowing. And I also want to add in terms of the inclusivity pieces and thanks Kelsey for that um description is that people who are new to an area and their ability to have exposure to people who are experts in the field is sometimes hard if their job isn't you know really related for example but they're really interested in a community of practice that's kind of maybe an area where they were they'd like their career to go or their interest to go or their education to go and this, it's an amazing opportunity for people who are in Lethbridge College and wanting to maybe include themselves in another topic and perhaps take their career direction in a different, in a different, you know, down a different path. A community of practice also provides them like with a window into the world that they might be interested in living in. That's a really interesting concept. So as opposed to taking some kind of a professional development workshop or, you know, a, a formal professional development, this is a way to maybe do more organically kind of grow your knowledge and, and your professional development. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you, um, either of you or both of you expand on how COPs apply to the college and to education as a whole? I guess I could start talking about how our first COP, our pilot, connects to education as a whole. We had a group of two groups of managers who'd been doing professional development, taking manager, management training courses. And then they joined into a community of practice to deepen that knowledge and to add their experience about it. So they used the training as the structure for their conversation and then deepened and went into those application levels and gave them an opportunity to evaluate their practice and work themselves up into the, those higher levels of thinking around, around the training. So one of the ways that communities of practice can impact education is that it can deepen it and share it and increase the levels of application. Kelsey? Um, uh, for sure. I think, um, Kind of relating back to what uh, I mentioned before, part of it is that like sharing of knowledge and breaking down kind of silos within different departments, different centers, different areas. I think that's one thing the college has been working hard on in the last while is uh, is. Uh, creating a, a broader community, even within ourselves. Um, we have lots of really awesome communities within the college, but finding ways to kind of uh, share, like, I guess the secret sauce that some areas have that other areas are looking for. And, uh, and I guess more approachable or 
informal ways of, uh, of sharing that knowledge, sharing that practice in a way that, uh, that is inviting and welcoming to people like Lorraine mentioned, who are looking to grow their skills, maybe change their career trajectory, um, and just don't know where to look. Having these kinds of communities of practice um, can be a place where people can find those, even if they try it once and decide, you know, oh, that's not a fit for me. Um, or maybe they find a group that they're with for a long time and that they continue to learn and grow with. And it sounds like maybe something where, um, from what you're saying, where people might move around a bit, maybe they would join a community of practice at a certain point of time with what they know, and then maybe somewhere else at a different point in time. And they also uh, are going to have opportunities to start communities of practice as well. That's kind of circling back to that inclusivity piece. We've also built in the idea that, you know, you may read this book or you may do this piece of training and there may be something out of it that you would like to lead a group of people through or continue the exploration of. Uh, starting communities of practice is not limited to someone who is in management, for example. And we really are striving to create a social pathway so that everyone can be involved and increase their leadership skills, for example. There's all sorts of layers of, of learning associated with the process of the community of practice as well as the content. Okay, I can see the connections to leadership too. How is this an innovative concept for Lethbridge College and for education? I think that having, a commu having communities of practice as a way to consider, to learn and develop and grow, and to have a slightly, a formal structure, and I put it in quotation marks because uh, although we're writing guides, it's the participants themselves that drive the design in terms of how they meet and how often they meet and what they do in their meetings. Um, that it just seems like a natural progression of the openness and the, of our campus and the goals we have to transform education, to recognize that education is inherently social. It always has been inherently social, passed from one person to another. And just to increase the number of people participating at the same time, um, to get that synergy and to, I know all of us here have talked to someone in the college and been just gobsmacked about this other area that they are, they have experience in, and then how much joy that that brings both people to for one person to be able to benefit from somebody else's experience. And so I hope that answers your question. Yes, for sure. And that's such a wonderful thing about education that we can get so excited about uh, those moments when we're sharing that. Um, Kelsey, what are your thoughts as well on, on innovation and communities of practice? I believe at least the way for these to, to really flourish is when people take that ownership of them, right? We can provide frameworks and we can uh, provide knowledge. And then it's up to those people, whether they're managers, whether they're 
um, the newest person on their team, but if they have the, the passion for something and the drive to kind of bring people together, connecting under a certain subject matter, a certain skill or expertise, um, when you have people that really kind of, yeah, own it and, and love it and want to carry it forward, that's when they really do well. Um, I know within my own team, the, the ones that have sprouted up, it's all been because we experienced a lot of team growth and we realized, oh no, we don't have ways to be sharing this information and making sure that people are getting everything that they need to do their job well um, and, and the resources that do exist, do they know about them? How do they get them? And so different people within the team were saying, hey, you know, what if we had this specific uh, Microsoft Teams channel, and then we could share our resources there. And maybe we could meet every month and nerd out on different ways to edit for academic courses or things like that. It's that kind of enthusiasm and that kind of ownership that I think produced the most successful uh, communities of practice. And so I'm excited to see more of those popping up and, and, uh, and growing now that the, the college is making a real effort to say, we think these are good and here's some, here's some ways that we can help you get started, right? It sounds like communities of practice are really closely tied to innovation then. I would say so. I would say so. I think, again, it's that conversation of people working together and sharing ideas, sharing their expertise and realizing, oh, this thing that I have fits well into this thing that Lorraine has, which fits well into this thing that Donna has. And look, now we can do something together. And it's actually way better than if any one of us tried to do it on our own, right? So I'm interested in learning more now about some specific examples of COP that you guys have been working on here at the college? So what we started with, as I mentioned before, is we started with a bit of a pilot to ask our managers, like how should this be structured for Lethbridge College? And we just wanted to learn, right? So we, I, we started with something we call the OASIS design. The idea that you can have a community of practice that you don't have to prepare for. Uh, we were thinking about our managers and how busy they are and how just hard it is to sometimes to carve out an hour and we scheduled it an hour a month, which tended to be not what people wanted. They wanted it more often than that. But we were thinking about their scheduling issues and we thought, okay, so we'll build a design where people can come, like we call it an oasis because all you need to bring to an oasis is your thirst. So just come with a thirst for knowledge and we'll do a Blackfoot introduction and territory acknowledgement. And then we'll do a mindfulness practice, which gets our brains into reflective mode. And then we'll actually build in some private work time. So people were coming together virtually and introducing themselves and then going off with a piece of their training and reflecting on it and then coming back for 30 minutes of sharing. So that was our Oasis design, and that's how we started. I love that name and the concept of coming with your thirst. That's perfect. A lot of people think that, um, I know myself for sure, that I don't ever want to arrive at a meeting unprepared. And 
So to actually set one up. So that's one of the ways that a community of practice can be set up. It can be set up on a theme of information or passion, and then people come together and share in a verbal way in their 30 minutes and perhaps journal in their private time. And that's one model. And then of course, there's the model where there's the preparation, like the people who are, for example, reviewing their training first and then going in, or they're reading a book chapter and then they're going into their community of practice or uh, like Kel I'm thinking of Kelsey's group. There are people who've been working on various projects and that's kind of their preparation for the conversation. Would you say that's the case, Kelsey? It kind of people, they're doing their own work and that's kind of the preparation for their meeting and, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's kind of, we've got, uh, well, we've kind of built them out into hubs for each role. So in my team, we have writers and editors, we have formatters, we have media specialists, we have instructional designers, and they're all doing the the work of their role on so many different projects. Yeah, so they come together, whether it's in one-on-one -on -one sessions, group sessions, uh, grabbing kind of self-serve resources um, and utilizing their hubs within Microsoft Teams there. Um, that way they can bring their questions to each other or say, you know what, this is something that I always get hung up on. Like, what are your uh, methods and, and, and thoughts on dealing with this? Or, or what's a a resource that you have to share. Um, we just had someone share kind of all their all their quick coding tips for within Canvas. So they shared them with everyone else. Um, so just yeah, ways of uh, kind of giving each other uh, tools or or just general moral support sometimes. Uh, a place to also talk about like project wins, you know, like, oh, I worked on this thing and it just came together so well. And, uh, you know, they're not coming to brag, but they're coming to share because we want to celebrate um, those victories. And, and, you know, it's so much easier to sometimes gripe together, but I think it's equally as important to be sharing those awesome pieces and, uh, and and so I'm hoping we'll we'll continue to see more of that sharing happening within all those little hubs as well. Yeah, because it can be really inspiring when you hear of another team that's done something really well or successful, then, you know, it gives you more motivation to do that as well. I think one of the awesome things that within CTLI as a whole kind of happened when the pandemic started was uh, um, two of our team members, Megan and Melissa, they just jumped on creating us an in, uh, uh, a virtual environment where as a center, we could all come together. Um, there were places for, you know, uh, information and resources on quick tips for using A, B, C, or D. There were places where people could have gift battles uh, and have some fun places to share uh, pictures of your pets or um, articles that, uh, that you've seen and thought other people might find interesting. And that's something that I think we've seen just kind of grow and shift over time uh, and, and how it's kind of been able to flex to the needs of our team at that time when we first uh, went into remote work, when the pandemic was just gearing up, it was really a place where everyone needed just like that social injection and a place where it was like, other people are experiencing this too. And uh, 
I can share what's going on even if we're not together. And now it's morphed a little bit away from that and to more of like a, a resource sharing or, uh, or um, yeah, uh, it's just kind of shifted based on what people needed. Um, even just today, actually, we did do another feel good one. Uh, Jess prompted us all to share some some tunes and and we're making a center wide playlist now. So it's kind of cool how uh, we can use these pre-existing uh, tools to frame them into something that works well for us, right? That type of uh, environment may or may not work for other centers, but for us, it has been an awesome, an awesome one to use and a way to experiment with what works and what doesn't. Uh, there was no like, this is the set thing forever. There's options to evaluate um, and shift with the needs of the group, which I think uh, communities of practice uh, can be a great option for too, you know, as opposed to some sort of prepackaged training uh, that you might have gone to, the group is there to to serve the group, right? So it can flex and and uh, shift with the people that are part of it. So it can provide that support when it's really needed. Mm -hmm. One of the things that just seems so almost magical out of that popped into my mind as a result of Kelsey talking about that morphing was my memory of a conversation that I had with Shannon Mass in the registrar's office when we were talking about how could a community of practice serve the situation. And the frontline workers that are in a registrar's office, they are, you know, have to answer those phones, have to answer those emails and pull them away from that to do a community of practice where they can share their tips and tricks for this and that and to share the new innovation information that is pouring in from various departments and that's really tough for them to stop. So we designed around that and said, well, we can, we can create, we can use some of the apps inside of our Office 365 suite and we can create an interactive asynchronous community of practice where these new people who are often coming into the department because Shannon really promoted this idea of helping her employees move if they wanted to, to a new career within Lethbridge College. So she, her, the kind of high turnover was a high training, but it was welcome because she was promoting the people that were in her department. And so we designed a community of practice uh, structure for her group so that everyone could question and answer on a, you know, very similar to what Kelsey was talking about. You don't have to be in the same room or in the same group or at the same time in order to have a community of practice and help each other out and leave resources and leave answers to questions and leave questions that you don't know the answer to. So it can be both synchronous and, and asynchronous as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Blend, like blended, just like any instruction. On the academic side, we have courses that are fully online, we have blended, we have fully face-to-face. -face. It's a learning method, right? Very same thing. Community practice can look whatever way that the group needs it to look. I think that was a really important point that Kelsey made. Well, and that flexibility is so important in all education. So it makes sense that that would work well for COP. Um, so... 
You've talked about many really amazing sounding initiatives that are happening at the college. What does the future look like now for communities of practice? If we've learned anything in the last year or so, it's that being uh, responsive to situations um, is something that we can do, even though it's hard sometimes. Um, but that, uh, especially within these communities of practice, that's that's why they fit so well, is because of that morphing nature that we were talking about. And so, yeah, I'm mainly excited to see where that goes, how how that. Uh, changes and develops um, as our team changes and develops, uh, we're, we're probably going to keep growing. And so I think uh, these will be foundational pieces to us um, as in regard to onboarding and orientation and ongoing training with the people that we're working with. And, uh, and so yeah, we'll, we'll see how that continues to flourish and, and where we can start to also um, uh, work with other communities of practice that are, that are going to pop up around the college. This, these ones are, are a little bit closed just because of the nature of them, but I think, uh, like uh, Lorraine has mentioned, a lot of other communities of practice are a little bit more general and, and more broadly applicable, and so uh, those will be a great uh, way to be connecting with other people and building our skills in, in other ways uh, with people that maybe don't come with the same mindset that we do. Oh, that sounds really exciting, Kelsey. And Lorraine, so looking at the concept more broadly, um, what does the future look like? So uh, from a really practical side, we, we will have an OWL page for communities of practice. So anyone can see what communities of practice are operating, um, where people can post where they're starting at communities of practice. And that, of course, will be supported by our internal communications. Uh, we know that within the learning and development plan, the commitment to supporting people's space to do communities of practice, to participate in communities of practice in order to enhance their employee core competencies, in order to enhance their management training, any aspect of the learning and development plan supported by communities of practice as an option for how to enhance that. So for example, we have a new employee orientation course that is close to being launched. Inside our new employee orientation course, is a communities of practice specifically designed for new employees to increase the number of connections that they have to people outside their departments, to increase their ability to have a cohort of people that uh, you're new to, I'm new to, I don't know how to do this. How did you get your key? <laughs> Whatever, you know, that may be a really nice environment for them to uh, meet with each other, that's going to be continuous registration. So there's an open community practice where I think it's in the fourth month that any new employee is going to be invited to join a specific community practice just for the new employees. And it's not mandatory. It's just if they'd like to learn that way and if they'd like to connect that way. If I wanted to had an idea or I want to learn about something new, I could look to the OWL and see if there is a community of practice for what I might be interested in learning? Yes, or and if it isn't there, then 
you'd talk perhaps to your supervisor or if you didn't need to talk to your supervisor, if depending on the structure of your job and you just decided, oh, I would really like to study this book or this topic, then you can put up, you'll be able to put up, it's not, we're not quite ready yet, but uh, you'll be able to put up your community of practice idea and there will be opportunities there for like the, the apps and stuff will be there so people can register and uh, then there'll be an orientation and I'm looking forward to seeing that when it uh, goes live. It's going to be really exciting to see uh, people have the opportunity no matter what um, position they have at the college to you know show their initiative because that's what innovation is. <laughs> innovation is initiative really in its smallest form in an, in an individual. If individuals are empowered to initiate and to share what they know and to learn together, then as an institution, we can move and grow. And the more cross-departmental connections that we have, the more people and that I have access to that aren't necessarily in my little pot of people, the more connections I have. And hopefully the longer people will that it will impact employee retention too, that people will stay with us longer and learn more while they're here. Cause that is, that's one of the impacts of having communities of practice active in an organization is that the employees stay longer and grow more and productivity is, is um, enhanced as well as job satisfaction. So the research is really interesting on the kind of people of the people benefits that happen so-called accidentally by being part of a community practice. So are you excited sort of to see what will happen once it goes live and to see what people come up with and what they develop for communities of practice? Well, it makes me smile because it's like, now I can start to learn about maybe some of these things that other people are really jazzed about, but I just didn't know they were jazzed about it. So I hope there's a community of practice that emerges really quickly on growth mindset, like, because I'm really jazzed about that. And it would be wonderful to study that with a group of people. So yes, for our lifelong learners and for those people who've never worked for a public institution before to come here and find out that you can learn about the things you're interested in and you could join a group of based on your interest and that that would be supported if possible, right? By your department that you could actually take a little time away in order to follow those kinds of interests. Um, lots of people have never been in a, an employment situation that supports learning the way that we do here. Mm -hmm. I think you hit on some really important stuff there, Lorraine, especially with the, that those opportunities to kind of, uh, kind of grow ourselves and, and be involved in those. I think, um, often we, we get stuck because we have so many tasks to do, right. And so many projects. And so work really can start to feel like, you know, that continuous, uh, train of, of demands on your time. And, and maybe you get tired from that, but I think, one of the benefits, um, which, which you alluded to was that you get that time to, to kind of take a break 
and it's not that it's an unproductive break. It's not that it's like really an extra. It's a way to give your yourself and your mind some space to explore new ideas, to think about concepts that have been kind of rolling around in there, but you just haven't got to them yet. And, and that that's really important, I think, um, for us as, uh, as people who have jobs and have lots of demands on our time, taking time to be learning and growing in these other ways um, is going to benefit us when we come to those lists of tasks. Um, and when it comes to interacting with our coworkers and um, our clients or our customers or our students, uh, because again, it kind of gives us a little bit of a shift to have a, a fresh mindset, a fresh, a fresh look on something, and even practicing taking another look at something, listening to other perspectives, and and how that really just infuses into the 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 everyday um, activities and busy work of of any job. Mm. Well put. I'm curious to know how you two both became connected over communities of practice. I, I know each of you from your work in different on different projects, but how did you become connected on this project? I, th I think it was Aaron who the associate dean for Kelsey's area who said, you might want to talk to Kelsey about these communities of practice. Maybe she'd be interested. And so I contacted Kelsey, who then told me how her area was operating. And I saw every single aspect of like the official research-based definition, right? Of a fully functioning and vibrant community practice. That's what I remember Kelsey of going, ah, it's already here. Yeah, yeah, that's what I remember too. And I thought, oh, I didn't really think of that's what we were doing. I thought we were just being a team that was, you know, shifting with our growth and figuring out ways to meet needs that we had. And so it was very interesting to chat with Lorraine about that and realize, oh, there's like actually a term for these things. And uh, maybe I should also research them a little bit more. And that might help <laughs> us in navigating our pathway as well. Oh, that's a wonderful connection. Sorry, go ahead, Lorraine. If you're going to grow a garden and you wonder if carrots will grow in this soil and you research the soil and research the carrot seeds and then you come upon someone who's already grown a carrot, that's what it was like. And it, so it just made me feel so hopeful about the traction for social pathways, for acknowledging that we learn from each other and we value each other in that. And we're innovative and creative as we go, that this initiative will live long in this, in this organization. It just gave me such bright, shiny hope. So you, you had the model and the theory and Kelsey had the, the practice that it was happening. Yes. Cool, that's very exciting. Um, okay, my other question, we've talked about, you know, if you want to learn something, a community of practice is a great way to do that. And, and so for anyone wanting to know more and learn more, um, there's many benefits. What about for the people who are sharing information, who maybe know the stuff? 
what does the community of practice do for them? One of the things that feels really good is to be, to, at least for me and for a lot of people, I think, who, who get into an area of study is to find someone who's interested and then to be able to help them on their pathway so that knowledge doesn't get lost. Because that is really the, one of the critical things that I think our society and our planet really has in its face is we have this demographic of people retiring and, and uh, not having a place to put their knowledge. And so communities of practice provide that longevity and it circles back in my thoughts to the Blackfoot way of knowing and the story based and passing on those stories and making sure that they're not lost. That's a great connection. Yeah, people like to share and and to teach and and pass on those stories and information. That's a wonderful connection. I think one thing too that we've talked about in our center is, um, you know, we we all go and get training for different things. Maybe we get to go to a conference here or there, but often the question when you come back is like where am I sharing this? Do I need to share this with someone? Do I write it down and then it exists? Or or do I just start using it in my practice? Um, What if other people want to know, right? And so communities of practice um, give that, that option, not just with, yeah, like people who are wanting to kind of share their legacy, but also people who are just excited about something new, right? That they learned and they want to grow. Maybe they're even wouldn't consider themselves an expert yet, but they're, they're an interested novice and uh, they've got those building blocks and they just need more people to come into that conversation and, and build it. I think of a lot of my team members, there's a lot of younger people. um, I mean, age is just a number, but people who have had less years in their career, but they're still hitting on these awesome things, right? Or stumbling upon this strategy or that thing. And, and this would be a place for them as well um, to, to share those kinds of things, um, learning from others with more experience. Um, but maybe sometimes it just takes someone willing to start a conversation, whoever that person is, right? Yep. That's a great point, Kelsey, because we all go away to different PD or different workshops and conferences, and we can't all go to everything. And so we can bring back those nuggets and and bits of information that we learn and, and pass it on that way. So thank you both very much for joining me today. We are at the, the last part of the podcast where I want to ask you about something that you've loved learning lately. And I think this actually fits perfectly with our discussion of communities of practice because, you know, it's all about learning. And as people who work in education, we are naturally people that love learning. So this gives you a little tiny chance to have a little community of practice amongst the three of us and share something that, uh, and this really could be anything that you've loved learning recently. Okay, so what I've loved learning lately uh, is uh, a result of reading a book called Widen the Window. And the author is Elizabeth Stanley. And it's the story of what happens to us when we get into the threat brain system and what it does to our ability to learn. And then it's about 
then how to recognize that we are operating basically on less oxygen and less ability to broaden our perspectives. So when we've narrowed and narrow, there's nothing wrong with narrowing if we need it. Uh, so that's my, that's my current thing of just looking at the research on how to widen so-called the window and get back into my ability to use all of my executive functions rather than kind of shutting down and not really know that I'm shut down. So that's, that's my current. I'm just absolutely loving it. It would make a fabulous community of practice. Well, that sounds fascinating. And we will post a link to that book in the show notes. So if anyone wants to follow up, they can find it. And what about for you, Kelsey? I guess I'm thinking about a couple of books that I've been reading um, as, as I've tried to figure out how to, to communicate well and, uh, and provide direction, but also flexibility for my, my team. Uh, since a lot of the members are fully remote, I've never even met them, probably never will in person. Um, but uh, some books that have been really helpful to me, um, Radical Candor by Kim Scott. Um, it has helped me have the courage to have those harder conversations sometimes, but in a way that is uh is like forward thinking and and growth focused um and and also confidence that you know what sometimes you can be a little bit more candid with how you're saying things but as long as you have that care for the people that you're communicating with um it can be really effective and maybe more effective than if I covered it in all these flowery things and, and sandwiched it between two really awesome things. Uh, so that's been one book that I've really been enjoying. Um, and I've also just started in, and I'm forgetting their last names, but it's Liz and Molly. They have a website and they write books together. Um, and the book is called No Hard Feelings. And it's about how um, emotions and feelings can be a good part of, of the workplace and how to kind of navigate that. And that one's been particularly interesting as we've gone through the pandemic where whether we wanted to or not, emotions became a larger part of our workday and our workplace. And so how do we navigate that in a way that takes care of ourselves and also cares for the people that we're working with and communicating with, um, yeah, so those are those are two that I've been kind of delving into a little bit and and finding some good stuff in. Oh, wonderful. Thank you, Kelsey. Those sound really amazing. And uh, we will also post links to both of those books in the, the notes for this episode. So thank you again, both of you. It's been an amazing conversation. I have learned so much about communities of practice, and uh, I'm really looking forward to um the project appearing in the OWL to see what types of community of practice uh, are created. Me too. Thanks very much, Donna. This episode featured Donna McLaughlin as host and Kelsey Jansen and Lorraine Leishman as guests. Jordana Gagnon was our producer. Ryan Robinson was our sound technician and editor. Thank you also to Daryl Benebeck, Joel Godry, Kelsey Jansen, and Tyler Wall for their ongoing support and expertise. Our podcast is funded by Lethbridge College's Centre for Teaching, Learning, and Innovation 
and recorded on the traditional lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. For more information and inspiration, check out learninginnovation.ca. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and follow us on your chosen platform. Thanks for listening and take care.